You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. No doubt you've had experiences of waking up on the wrong side of the bed. I hope this morning isn't one of those mornings, but no doubt you've had that. And, you know, when I think about when I wake up on the wrong side of the bed, there's a number of factors that go into it. It might not be necessarily what's happened in that morning. It might have started the night before. You know, I stay up too late, maybe doing productive things like, you know, getting caught up on paying bills or, you know, doing some laundry. No, no, <laughs> that, that's not the way to, uh, or, you know, it's probably a lot more likely that, you know, I've watched, uh, you know, the, the third rerun of SportsCenter and seen highlights that, you know, I've already seen twice that just gets me more and more upset about the Mariners offense or whatever it might be. But, you know, and then it continues in the morning. You know, maybe there, there's, there's factors. Often they're outside of my control. It might be something as small as one of those mornings. I'm old school in this way that, uh, you know, the, the newspaper is still delivered to my house. And when the, when the person doesn't get it far enough up the porch and it's raining and you have to put your shoes on to go outside in the rain to get the paper, wrong side of the bed, Okay. Uh, even, even more so those, those factors that continue, if maybe those around me have got up on the wrong side of the bed, okay? You know, I think of, I think of my kids. When they get up and we go immediately to tantrums and throwing cereal at each other, throwing the bowl or whatever, and, and you find yourself going, why? Because you can't put in the play, oh, they're just tired, they just slept all night, and now they're throwing a, a, a tantrum. Okay, they're on the wrong side of the bed. Or, you know, my, my, my wife is a, is a lovely person, but when she wakes up on the wrong side of the bed, it usually manifests itself in, in a list, but not just a list, a list that has a very aggressive timeline, okay? A lot more aggressive than the timeline that I want to be on. Okay, so when that might contribute to my wrong side of the bedness as as well, but when other people wake up on the wrong side of the bed, like my family, it gets me thinking, what in the world did I do to facilitate this type of environment? You know, how did we get here is probably the first question that comes to mind. And then, of course, I'm looking for what can we do? What can we do to, to, to change this? course, it usually takes me a while to figure out that, you know, all of this is going on. And I just know that this morning is not what I expected. We come to a sandwich story this morning where it seems like Jesus just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. There's this bizarre interaction with the fig tree uh, it seems like that bad day continues as they get <clears throat> to the Temple Mount. Uh, and it <clears throat> perhaps leaves us wondering what facilitated this. And of course, it has us going, what in the world does this, does this whole thing mean? What do we do with this? This story seems bizarre and random, if not a bit absurd. And we're going to look at it in a little bit more detail. But ultimately, I think it is a story where Jesus shows us the passion of God. The passion of a God that has energy and desire to follow through. 
to make good on God's own word and to follow through on what we ask. It's a bit of a difficult, if not bizarre text, so we should pray before we get started with it. Let's do that. God, uh, would you be our teacher? And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Open our ears that we may hear uh, and our hearts that we would receive whatever it is that you have for us this morning. Lord, meet us in this place. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I want to uh, walk through some of the details of this story that, again, I find a little bizarre or random, if not absurd, uh, because I think that there are a lot of them. Uh, It's off of the story that you heard Lori, Tim, and I read earlier. It comes from Mark chapter 11, um, and it's on, I believe, page 823 in those black Bibles uh, in your pews if you want to follow along there. All right. This whole passage starts out, and it says that they left Bethany, the disciples, the whole band of brothers there. But then it quickly says that Jesus was hungry. Okay, now what's, I'm fine with that. Jesus should be hungry. It reminds us of, of the, the tension that we see in Jesus as fully God and fully human. If God is going to be fully human, if Jesus is going to be fully human, then it makes sense that he would be hungry. But what's bizarre to me is this, is that the text seems to note that it was only Jesus that was hungry. They left Bethany, but he, Jesus, was hungry. Makes you wonder what might have happened at the breakfast table, right? You know, I mean, it probably didn't play out this way in the first century, but in my mind's eye, I just picture, you know, Jesus watching as, as Peter scoops the last of the cheesy eggs onto his plate. You know, and he, you know, he kind of looks over and sees, you know, John helping himself to some cereal and dripping the last, the last ounce of milk into his bowl. Is there anything worse than when you're expecting a nice bowl of cold cereal and there's no more milk? It's happened to all of us. I know that. Okay, so maybe part of this wrong side of the bed happened because Jesus didn't get breakfast. Okay, now I don't know what happened there, but it's interesting to me nonetheless. Story continues that as they leave, they're walking from Bethany to, to Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, which is a walk that would be pretty similar to going from, say, Queen Anne to downtown Seattle, where you start on one hill, kind of walk down the hill, and then up um, into Jerusalem. You, kinda, you, go, you go through a, uh, a valley. Well, on the way, Jesus sees this fig tree, and he's thinking, Yahtzee, I'm going to get breakfast anyway. Walks up to the fig tree, and there's no figs on it. This apparently displeases Jesus. So, of course, he, uh, as we saw earlier, he throws down a curse on this tree. Now, here's what makes this story absurd. That Mark takes time to note that it was not the season for figs. Okay, now I could see the curse if it's the high season for figs and Jesus gets a little bit upset. But at this point, it's not the season for figs. And now, now Jesus is getting a little bit emotional. You know, in my mind's eye, it, there's almost like a little, you know, it's almost like he's a little bit unstable. And, and again, I imagine the disciples going, you know, hey, Somebody needs to tell Jesus it's not the season for figs, okay? And I could see, you know, the other disciples looking back at it, you know, at this guy going, 
you go tell him. <laughs> okay, not gonna happen, right? So the story continues. They get into, um, they get into Jerusalem and now Jesus' bad morning is going to become a bad morning for those who are doing business uh, outside of the temple. Uh, Jesus comes in and takes the, the tables of the money changers and, and flips them over, uh, rebukes them, and uh, then quotes uh, the, the prophet Jeremiah when says, uh, my house is to be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, this in and of itself, while emotional, is not really all that absurd. In fact, what Jesus might be responding to a little bit more is the absurdity of what is happening. There's a couple of things at play here. Part of it is, is a, an exploitative economy, uh, temple economy, that is, is happening there. Whether um, it is that, that uh, there is money that is being taken from the temple by those money changers whether it is exploiting the faithful pilgrims that are trying to get the right sacrifices to offer um, as, they, as they make their, their festival uh, pilgrimage so that they can uh, commune with God. Uh, it would, you know, in that respect, it would be a little like this. Uh, things, it'd be like going to the baseball game, right? And one of the things that you would, you know, hashtag never hear at a baseball game is, wow, I got a really good deal on that hot dog. It was, you know, I got it for cheap. Okay, that doesn't happen at a sports event, right? They know that they've got you where they want you, so they drive up the prices a little bit. Uh, the, the other thing that, that happens that Jesus comments on is that in this space, it is less about having to get it all right um, as much as what purity in this house looks like is that it would be a house of prayer. Let's not complicate uh, everything with all these things that we have to buy and things that we have to bring in and out of this place. Uh, this house is to be a house of prayer for all nations. Well, as the story continues, they presumably leave and go back to Bethany and come back to do their ministry the next day. And Peter notes that the tree that Jesus cursed has withered right to the roots, right to the roots. And the only thing I wanna point out here is that Jesus cursed a tree and it withered. He said something would happen and it did. Now what follows it to me is the big surprise of this text where instead of, of what I want, what I think I want Jesus to do right here is then explain to Peter why he cursed the fig tree. What does this all mean? But Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, Jesus talks about prayer. Jesus talks about prayer here. He says, uh, whatever you ask for in prayer and you believe Consider it done. A cursed and withered fig tree gets our attention to hear us, to uh, uh, enable us, perhaps to shock us into hearing an invitation to pray and perhaps pray in a way 
that is different. Now, if there's anything that becomes, again, absurd for me in this text, it's that Jesus says, if you pray and you believe, consider it done. Why is this absurd? Because too often in my own prayer life, and my own experience with prayer, there are things that I pray for. There are things that I pray about. And I can't stand in front of you and honestly see that I saw or at least understood an answer to that prayer. Such a big invitation is one that seems a little bit absurd to me. If not, at the very least, I'm a little skeptical of it. Let me give you a trite example of this. Okay, I wasn't sure I was going to do this at the early service. I'll, do it, I'll give this example for you now as well. Sometimes it plays out that, you know, I'm down here at the Chevron station on the corner of Brooklyn and 47th, you know, filling up my gas tank. You know, maybe if I'm feeling really responsible, I'll wash my windows on my car, even though the water that they have in those things is nasty. Okay, I'm not even sure it does any good. But as I'm doing that, I notice uh, in, in kind of red numbers in the window of the Chevron station is telling me the number of the latest lotto jackpot or mega millions. And so I find myself a little enticed. I go in, slap my dollar down, get my couple of plays on lotto. I walk out there and I say, you know, Lord... You know, if I win, I, I promise, I promise I'll use it well. I'll steward it. And I'm not one that claims to hear the still small voice of God often or clearly. But I'm telling you, as soon as I pray that prayer, I hear the still small voice of God say, You're, you don't steward it well now. <laughs> you know, perhaps it's because I just bought a lottery ticket. I don't know. Okay, I have, I'm yet to win a jackpot, not to mention all the prayers I have prayed in Husky Stadium and Safeco Field that have gone unanswered, okay? Not all that I have asked has ever been answered. And perhaps that's where I'm directed back to the words of the prophet Isaiah, that God's ways are not my ways. God's thoughts are not my thoughts. Because the invitation that Jesus gives still stands. An invitation for us to sensitize ourselves to prayer. Now, clearly this has been a text that I have found very troubling. Uh, as I have read commentaries, there's really no agreement on what the fig tree means since the 19th century. Beforehand, people simply interpreted it as, if God asks something of you, you give it to him, Okay. We've tried, to, uh, we've tried to figure out maybe a little bit more of what that means. And, and honestly, as I studied this, there's, there's no consensus. It's a passage that has often scared me because of the ways that I find the, uh, the ways that I find the emotion of God to be a little threatening. The ways that I see God and interpret it as unstable. I don't like to think of my Lord waking up on the wrong side of the bed. So what do we make of this? Ultimately, where, what this emphasizes is prayer. 
instead of interpreting and telling us what the fig tree means, Jesus talks about prayer. We see Jesus interact with the fig tree, curse it, and it withers. It's a message that says, when I say something, it happens. And now I'm gonna say something else to you. I'm gonna say, pray and believe. And then he tacks on the little line about forgiveness. The very end of this passage, chapter tw- or verse 26. What do we do with this? What do we do with this story and with the teaching uh, that comes out of it? I wanna make three reflections on prayer. First is prayer does not require ideal conditions. Uh, it's, it seems that one of the things that Jesus shows us within his own bad day and within his actions at the temple is that it's, it's not about getting everything right. It's not about having the right sacrifice. It's not about exactly going to the right place. It's, it invites us to pray when we feel like it and pray when we don't feel like it. Do you realize that's what it means to pray without ceasing? Pray without ceasing basically says there's only twice that you have to pray. And that's when you feel like it and when you don't. Uh, the conditions are not always going to be right. Second reflection um, is, is really just that. We pray without ceasing, uh, which means that, here's, here's the way it plays out for me, that um, there are so many things that I want to pray about. Uh, but for whatever reason, uh, I find myself not doing it. Um, often, I think, uh, perhaps many of you have had this experience. Let me tell you about a, a, um, some friendships I have that came out of my undergraduate experience in college where I, you know, I've made it all of about three blocks from where I lived in college, but I have friends uh, that are scattered all about the country and the world. And they will call um, or email and, and we'll try to, to check in. And I think, oh yeah, I really want to catch up with this person, hear what's going on in their life. Um, but I always end up talking myself into this, this whole idea of, I want to make sure I have enough time to catch up. Well, a couple days pass, a week passes, two weeks pass, maybe even a month passes, and I haven't called them back. Why? Because the conditions haven't been ideal. And so I end up not talking to this friend at all. And I'm not proud of the fact that too often that is, is a relationship that really it mirrors the relationship I have with God in prayer. It's not that I don't want to pray. It's not that I don't want to come to God. It's that in looking for the conditions to be right, I fail to pray without ceasing. Now, here's the thing. I know it's possible. Why? Because I've met people that do this. In 1998, as a university student, I had the chance to go to Haiti on world deputation. And one of the missionaries we worked with, missionary from this church named Bruce Robinson. As many of you know, uh, Haiti, poorest country in the Western hemisphere, tough place to live. And what I can tell you is that Bruce, even when anytime we would get in the car, before he would put the car into gear, he would pray. 
Um, and then I hung out with them once when we, once we got home and we were standing there in the narthex and, a, and an ambulance went by and he cut off our conversation and started praying for whatever was going on. And honestly, as a 22 year old, I found myself going, isn't that a bit excessive? Like, really? Is that, is that what it means to pray without ceasing? Perhaps some of you, um, my guess is many of you have had the experience of uh, our ladybug teacher, uh, Jolly Jan Myers. Now, Jolly Jan is one of these people that if you ask her to pray for you, okay, what's the normal expectation? You ask somebody to pray for you, they say, oh yeah, I'll be sure to pray for you. And your expectation is that they will, you know, in whatever rhythm they have in prayer in their own quiet time, they're gonna go and they're gonna pray for you. Well, Jolly Jan, she stops and with her eyes wide open and without changing her voice, she just starts to pray for you right there. And you're like, oh, oh boy, what do I do? What do I do? She's praying. But as she does that, she's witnessing to the, re- the reality that she believes that in that moment, God is present and that God will answer that prayer. She stops because there is a sense of, I am confident that God is at work in this even as you're asking me to pray, and I'm praying in a way that you can't pray for yourself. These people bear witness to what it means to pray with that sense of faith and belief. So we can't wait for the conditions to be right. We pray without ceasing. And the last reflection I have for us is this, that it is is not about getting our words right and believing in our own prayers as much as we believe in, in the faithfulness and power of the one who hears them. In this particular passage, the invitation is to ask. Ask in faith, believe and consider it done. It's not us trying to get it right. It's not us believing in the power of our proper or correct prayer. It's believing in the one who will hear it and interpret it rightly. Uh, I am so dropped to my knees, over the top grateful for this community of faith that has shaped me over the last 20 years. I first found this church as a freshman at, at the UW and that was in 1994. Uh, And one of the things that I love about this church is its energy and commitment to reaching out and sharing hope with others. And it's always been that way, certainly the time that that I've been here. We experienced a lot of this, right? Uh, We heard what Tim had to share earlier in in a missionary that is sent from this community and doing stuff uh, all over the world. A little later in our service, we're uh, we're gonna commission the folks at Camp Side by Side. We did so uh, this morning at the, the nine o'clock service. Many of you participated in things uh, like day camp um, or, or the, the uh, city splash uh, that we had with our youth uh, recently. This church is so great at getting a vision and then executing that vision. Well, with every great strength, perhaps comes a great weakness. Because I find myself as, as one of us going to prayer 
And as I pray, I too get some of those same visions on, on how I might participate with the movement of the Spirit in this place, on how I might share hope, the hope of Jesus with college students in my role with university ministries. And as I'm praying, this list kind of develops and it keeps getting longer. And often I get pretty excited about it. I finish my time of prayer. I say amen. And then I immediately go about constructing my own answer to that which I just prayed. I wonder if one of the invitations in this text is for us to slow down. To slow down and believe. Believe that whatever it is that we ask for in prayer, that God desires to give to us. In this bizarre incident of Jesus cursing a fig tree and that tree withering, Jesus says something and it happens and then he teaches us about prayer. I believe that one of the things he's communicating to us is that I'm more eager to answer your prayers than you are to even ask them. And so I want us to set aside a few minutes this morning, believing that God wants to transform us individually and as a community as we pray, believing that God is eager to hear whatever it is that we have to ask. I want to invite us to pray uh, this morning, uh, perhaps around things, those things that we've been putting off in prayer. You know, like me, those things that I want to pray about, I just haven't made time to do it. Maybe those things that I've been avoiding in prayer. Maybe those things that have, that have, been, uh, have made me angry or confused. Uh, and as we come into a time of silence, I want to draw attention to those last few verses. If there is some, someone in your life that you find yourself having not forgiven. Can we take a few moments to pray for that person? For you to pray for yourself and your ability to forgive. That we might then ask individually and as a church that we would know the reality of a God that wants to be with us, who wants to hear our prayers, who wants to shape our thoughts, who wants us to hop on board with the reality of his goodness and grace in the world. So let's take a few moments uh, silently uh, to pray around those things that I just shared, someone you have to forgive, something confusing, something that makes you angry, something that you're putting off. And then I'll close our time before we uh, sing another song and, and then uh, pray for the nations as well. Let's pray together. God, your promise is that you will incline your ear and hear our prayers. God, we come to you as we are. Receive our thoughts and our prayers. God, you're more powerful than we give you credit for. God, in this moment, we believe you want to do more than we can ask or even imagine. Lord, sensitize our hearts and minds to what you are doing 
in our lives individually and in our church and around the world. Transcend our bad mornings and help us be people who pray. Help us make this house, this community, a house of prayer. God, thank you for your goodness, for your forgiveness of us, for our second chances, for your grace. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.